welcome to Cancer Talk, the podcast that explores the potential of integrative medicine in cancer care. Integrative medicine is an inclusive approach that combines the full resources of conventional medicine with a broad range of lifestyle and complementary approaches to address the multiple needs of those with cancer in body, in mind and in spirit. Each episode of Cancer Talk, oncologist Dr. Penny Kekayoglu and I, Robin Daly of Yes to Life, will be building bridges between conventional medicine and a host of other therapies and practices with the aim of improving the care of people with cancer in the UK. Hello, I'm Penny. I'm a clinical oncologist in the National Health Service and clinical director, and I treat patients with cancer using different modalities, including chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and holistic approaches. I welcome you all to Cancer Talk, and um, I'm looking forward to joining more specialists to talk about integrative medicine. Hello, I'm Robin Daly, founder and chairman of Yes to Life, the UK charity helping people with cancer to learn about and use integrative medicine. Each episode of Cancer Talk, Robin and I will be jointly hosting guest specialists from the world of integrative medicine with the aim of exploring the potential of improving the health of patients through their particular skills and experiences. Hi Penny, great to be back with another Cancer Talk. Hi Robin, lovely to see you. Okay, so today we've got a a very interesting guest um, who he sort of straddles two apparently completely disparate worlds. Uh, He's a highly experienced pharmacist uh, and specialised in oncology, but he's also an Ayurvedic practitioner. So um, uh, I'd like to say hello to Bobby Sira. Bobby, welcome to Cancer Talk. Hi, Robin. Hi, Penny. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Great to see you, Bobby. So I'm very interested in these uh, two worlds you exist in. Uh, one of them's within the NHS, uh, the other one's outside as a, as a private practitioner. So um, uh, you tell me a little bit, please, about how the, these two uh, very different worlds kind of inform each other, how they meet together in you. Yes, OK. Well, that's, um, that's a really good question. They, I suppose that's been a, an evolving journey, really, in how they've sort of come to meet. Um, sort of probably in, in, in my mid-20s, I, I, I stopped being a pharmacist for a while, I, and I went off to the Windeyer Institute in London, and I did a research project in genomics, investigating responses of cells to cancer-inducing agents and to elucidate repair genes and kind of switching things on and off as such. And, you know, and sort of this tiny little fascination began at that point on, you know, this idea that you can potentially switch things on and off, I suppose, you know, and then, you know, sort of the advent of epigenetics and people talking about these things. So it was just piqued my interest. And I was just really interested in how that kind of fits in with someone. And, you know, and, and, and there I was, you know, sort of standing in a community pharmacy back then and, you know, dishing out pills and, you know, giving out prescriptions to people and advice and it never felt quite complete right. it just always felt like it was a little sort of it was missing missing a mark really I was just interpreting a piece of paper I was giving something and and, and off they went but what was I really doing to to help them um, and I suppose and then that slowly evolved further and uh, I, I then started to 
look into things like uh, yoga therapy, mindfulness, and these approaches to sort of help people um, when they were feeling particularly anxious. So I suppose that was the first point of it. And then slowly I decided to, 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 move, to move on and I started to work in a, in a bigger field of sort of giving services for patients um uh, around large areas and, and and then i just suddenly realized again i'm not really doing anything to help an individual here it's all sort of mass stuff hmm. but it's nothing very individual so i sort of packed my bags and and, and 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 left everything and went off to investigate what is it that i want to go and investigate hmm. here um, and and that's where i found ayurveda you know while, while just sort of happily you know doing a, a yoga teacher training program up in northern india the photos of the Himalayas, I just came across the idea of it. And I, I just, you know, on a whim, took a, a long train journey all the way down to the south of the country, oh, wow. which took days, and uh, checked myself into an Ayurvedic clinic. What's going on, I thought. And there, I was just amazed. There was this, there was this idea where previously I had been looking at, you know, let's say in the research expression of genes and how they might modify. But I realized then I was expressing how a patient responds to a drug by a prescription. And there was this absolute realization that we were paying very little attention to the full expression of the person. And at this place, I was looked at from every single angle and not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. And there was just a complete I suppose, epiphany of what was missing all the time. Mm -hmm. There's this huge realm to a person oh. and to, to, to what happens to a person um, and when they're undergoing something. And I suppose, you know, it was only shortly after that I had a wake-up call as such myself. And then you realize that at some point in our lives, we get wake-up calls. We get wake-up calls and we either wake up or we, or we give up. There's often right. two ways that we go almost. Um, and I suppose now idea again was how do you really prepare yourself for this how do you prepare others for this what could you give to others and then i started to slowly sort of bring that into my practice unfortunately i'd been around long enough and was able to bring in some elements of it to do sort of holistic projects uh, where i could take a slightly bigger views of patients, mm. let's say, for example, in their homes, in their environment, and right. try to integrate that into what, what they were being prescribed and what was their condition and, and how we could influence that by all the other things around them. And, and you know, one of those projects in particular was, was really successful, but it was sort of not tangible evidence as such, because it was coming from a point of truly holistic care, holistic care where we were really looking at this entire picture of someone in their environment and in their family and in the way they talk, walk, breathe. Um, and it, it just continued to evolve from there. And, and when I started practicing as an Ayurveda, Ayurvedic practitioner, you know, one of the, the key things that we learn is that, you know, to be a skillful practitioner, you must enter into the heart of the patient, you know, and, and, and then that really held it for me too. It wasn't just about looking at the patient. Mm. It was about really entering into the heart of the patient. And that really was the key point of I wanted to do this because there was integration that was just screaming to happen. 
you could see how amazing and beneficial our treatments and our drugs and our therapies are. And yet we were missing what happens before that patient has got to you, during that care, the wider picture, and for way beyond that as well, what happens. And that was all the bit that was missing, it felt to me. There was just this point of care, and then they were okay, and then what happened? Mm, fascinating. Well, it's a, a, the thing about Ayurveda, it's a very complete system of uh, healthcare, isn't it? It's uh, very rounded, as you say. It looks at every single aspect and has lots of different methods and techniques to bring to the table. Uh, fascinating. I mean, there you are bringing along the latest science you've just been studying, of course, they're using techniques that have been going thousands of years before anybody knew we had genes. And yet that's what they're doing, of course, is switching genes on and off with their activities. Very interesting. And I say it's such an amazing journey you described, Bobby, there. And, um, and the amazing thing is that you went through this self-discovery journey of Ayurveda and then you didn't leave your practice. You went back, you understood the importance of integration, as you say and putting everything together around the patient. Can I ask, you know, what has your experience been since you started integrating um, both practices? So um, in truth, the experience is, is um, often with many hurdles. Um, it's, it's quite hard to, to swap hats over as such. So in, in there are clinical environments where it's not uh, deemed appropriate to switch the hat as such. Now, one element of being a pharmacist in all of this is really great because we are sort of looked upon as health advisors in, in sort of all aspects of, of life itself. You know, we, we kind of are, are there and trained to give some dietary advice, some sort of advice about, you know, sleep hygiene and, you know, and lifestyle things like that. So we, we kind of have that scope to us. It, it may well be very brief, but we have that scope and we have that sort of autonomy to talk alongside those things. So that helps me to a point, but then I have to just sort of um, always just maintain a certain distance from, from full on turning into the Ayurvedic practitioner, but I can, I can start to bring in some of that information. Uh, for example, last week, I think I, w I was sitting talking to a lady just going through some of the medicines we were going to be giving and, you know, and, and you just start having conversations about, uh, you know, uh, how's how are your activity levels and, you know, how's your how's your eating, you know, and, 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 and these conversations sort of start to evolve and then they start to tell you some of the things that eating and, you know, from an Ayurvedic perspective, you know, medicine, food is medicine. And sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll hear what, what someone's doing sort of from a dietary perspective and it's a bit sort of eye-opening. So you very gently, and this is how I do it, very gently just give them an idea of what they could do with the same thing in a slightly different way by maybe just changing the energetics of it because Ayurveda is very good at being able to change subtle energetics of food. So without making them feel like they can't have something as well. I think this is a really brilliant part of it as well because, you know, when you're, you're going through let's say cancer therapy the last thing you want is someone say well you can't do this you can't do that and you mustn't eat this it's not what you want to hear but you can change it subtly through the energetics of a system yeah. like ayurveda to make all these things more palatable and more medicinal to yeah. go alongside all the other therapies and treatments they're having 
So there can be, I have to be careful and, you know, and I think it would be nice to be able to take off one hat completely and put the other one on. And I suppose that's why I, I tend to, to see people outside of that environment. But it's also better for them sometimes to be seen outside of that environment because that environment can be quite clinical. Mm-hmm. And the advice given can also be taken quite clinical, even if it is holistic. Sure. So when you come out of there, and most of the time I, I, I prefer to see people in their environment not bringing them into another environment that is false for them but in their environment where you really get a true Mm -hmm. idea of them that's where you enter into the heart of the patient and that's Mm -hmm. where you enter into the heart of their home and that's what makes the big difference is what i find Mm. yeah interesting yeah the uh doctor in the house series with wrong and chatterjee was quite revolutionary from that point of view putting a doctor a gp in people's homes Mm -hmm. to actually see what they actually get up to every day and what's in the cupboard and all that stuff. Uh, Very eye-opening and uh, he made such astonishing changes with people in a short time and not just one person, the whole family all at once. (laughs) He was was treating several people at once and, uh, you know, just by actually seeing what their lifestyle was really like uh, and the people being uh, obviously having the willingness to uh, adopt something new. But... uh, Interesting. Um, maybe you, you are quite interested in what you just said about the subtle energetics there can be changed. Mm. Can you just say a little bit what you mean there? So, um, for example, um, when we when we look at um, a person in Ayurveda, we kind of sort of take a look at them from 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 an energy perspective, almost in a sense. So, you know, for, for those familiar with Ayurveda, you'll you'll hear about doshas, these ideas of kind of this this idea of a genetic makeup of a person from 5,000 years ago. But really what these are 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 sort of energies. And, you know, the way I like to look at them is rather than giving them those, you know, the the doshic names is that those energies are like a kinetic energy. We need energy for movement. And, and, And if we look at it from a cellular point of view, it's almost easier. You know, every cell has movement and things going on it, and it needs that energy to do that. And every cell has some metabolism going on it and it's transforming. So it needs that radiant energy, that heat energy to do that. And then every cell has some structure and stability. And that's that the third energy, which is kind of almost a gravitational force energy. And so these are the these are three energies that are just out there. They're out there all around us universally. And they're also within us at a cellular level. And that's how Ayurveda sort of starts to approach it on this doshic energy basis. Um, And it equates that sort of inner world to the outer world as well. So again, um, very importantly, we have to consider how we live in the world around us and in nature. So when we start to think about energetics, you know, if somebody, let's say, I can, I can see somebody who to me very clearly is, is, is quite a, Vata, if I'm going to use a, a doshic expression, Vata is, is this energy which can be very drying on people, but it can be very sort of fast moving in terms of the mind, the heart, the way the body performs itself. But, you know, it can be very depleting on the person too. And they can be sometimes very sort of thin and, and dry skinned almost as well. And sometimes they'll tell me how, you know, they're eating dried nuts all day. They're eating only salads, only cold things. And and it's that energetic there that needs to just change a little bit. Mm. So, you know, you go from something cold to something warm just to counter 
what their energy point is that is going probably off into an extreme. Because obviously when you get to somewhere like cancer, often these, these energies have gone into very extreme points. And so the whole point of Ayurveda is to bring things back into a harmony, back into a balance. So sometimes all we keep doing is exacerbating the problem through means that we absolutely have no idea are going to continue to exacerbate the problem. Mm -hmm. So these subtle energetics start to bring you back into this kind of sort of central point. And that, and, and that is the key. Um, and which is why Ayurveda is so much about behavioral modifications, because it changes the way that you look at life, the way you perceive life, the way you taste life, um, and, and, and the way you sort of express your energy in life too. Mm. Did that answer the question? No, it kind does. Of, it really, really interesting. Um, I'm just thinking about how, well, how poles apart that is from the approach within Western medicine. You know, it's just like so different that it's like, well, you know, we're working all the time to kind of bridge the gap is the kind of phrase we use mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. uh, conventional Western medicine and all the other things that are out there, which yeah. uh, have so much to offer. And, uh, you know, it's very clear to me that Ayurveda has masses to offer. But how, how do we go about bridging the gap between what you've just spoken about and the way that Western medicine's approached? Yes, well, I think that is, um, that's, a, that's a bridge that's going to take a lot of building. I think we're getting closer and closer to it all the time. There is much more awareness about, you know, such treatment modalities as Ayurveda or yoga therapy or Vedic counselling there's much more awareness about things like mindfulness. So we all mm. know that they can make a really big difference. There's brilliant research papers out there which will help us understand why meditation could make a massive impact on the way we respond to things, how we can change habitual behaviors. We can see how lifestyle changes that are instigated at one point in life and they continue can really change the way your life pans out as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of research out there and I think that helps us because this is very much an evidence-based world in which we live in. And so that needs to come through. Now, Ayurveda, on the other hand, has, has been around, as you said, for thousands and thousands of years. And putting that into sort of a, a modern research paper, is, it, it, it is really diff difficult. Mm. And uh, I think... One of the things that I sort of feel is that as a clinician, we're very trained to interpret facts, results that are put in front of us. And, you know, and this analysis that we're able to do helps us to get to a diagnosis, a treatment, a prognosis. And it's all it's all very sort of results based. Um, and, and, and that's brilliant because it translates into a really great outcome, hopefully, for a patient. And Ayurveda uses the same approach, lots of tests, lots of facts, lots of results. However, there's an unseen part of holistic care, and that is acceptance of intuition, which I think is a really hard thing to quantify and to put into sort of research as such. It's that being able to sort of read between the lines or that being able to read into the silence that momentary letting go of sort of the mind's interpretation of everything put in front of you, letting go of conscious reasoning for a split second just to be in the heart of the patient can sometimes open a whole world that is very, very different mm. to the way you can see things just on paper from results. <clears throat> so I think it's a, it's a difficult place to, to bring the evidence base, 
But I think when it comes to some of the herbals and treatments, there is lots of good evidence gathering on the use of things like turmeric or ashwagandha or shatavari or, you know, a variety of herbs that are out there. But I think that the key to this is this acceptance of being able to sort of read into a silence, which we don't really use in our sort of Western world of being a clinician. Mm. You're very right, Bobby. And um, I'm a clinician, I'm an oncologist as well. So I, I see the power of the clinical evidence and how reliant we, we are on that big clinical trial to be able to, to, to advise treatments for patients, which, which is great, but actually there is a lot of research out there um, which collectively advises on, on complementary therapies. And again, I'm going back to your point about bringing people into balance and actually focusing on the outcomes that you said before. What has been your experience in terms of patient outcomes? Because um, I know you're very keen at following patients through and, and understanding the effect of what you are practicing on 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 their balance and the environment and how they feel can you give us you know one or two examples of 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 those experiences yeah so my my practice is probably quite young to get really good long-term evidence for you in terms of examples but in the in the shorter term what i can say is that i think what i have i have one of my one of my clients for example it came to me and it was very much about the cancer, you know, and that was the reason why I got the call. And so off I went and we, we made our appointment and, we, and, and I listened and, I, and I, I was there just to listen. And of all the things that were happening in her life, and there was lots, there was the cancer, there was trauma, there was lots of emotional burden. And we had about two hours together and the truth of what was really, really troubling her became apparent in that time. And the, the truth was that she really didn't know who she was in all of this. Mm -hmm. She was identified by the cancer. She was identified by the burden that was around her, but she didn't really understand who she was. And what we'd started to do immediately was go through a much more sort of meditative response with her. And we went through uh, this sort of whole notion of, of how to settle in yourself and how to start to have a realization about what your values and your purpose is in life. And that was letting go of everything else. And that, I remember that first session at the end of it, I just experienced and saw this massive lightness, this weight lifted. Um, and then subsequently we would meet and again, it would be the same. There would just be this lightness and it continued. And then I would get a cancellation on an appointment because, for example, one time it was a neutropene sepsis and she'd gone into hospital. She was really poorly. But the one thing she said was just following some of those techniques, some of those tools that we had, and some of them were really simple breathing tools, just really helped. Helped from that point of having to go in, you know, at a time a bit like what we were talking earlier, when you don't want to be going in somewhere, leaving a family, but it just helped to ground, just helped ground for a moment and then to be able to go through it. And mm -hmm. so that to me was just 
probably the most successful moment of a career that somebody could just go somewhere and be faced with something that was just literally just throwing them out of all sort of synchronicity but they could find a moment grounding because you would have been able to share a tool with them or some tools with them so that's 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 one example um i think another example very often is is, is very much when it comes to uh people who really know that for the benefit of the treatment they're getting, they need to lose weight, for example. And those, those sort of clients I tend to see for several, several months because there is no way you're going to sustain, you know, good weight loss and a good treatment if you just literally go on a rapid diet and let it all just drop off. So again, those lifestyle behavioral modifications start to happen, but they're really, really slow again, but they really start to stick. So this one particular person was extremely heavy in the mind and extremely anxious and extremely stubborn and did really not want to change, but knew that she had to. And I think the way we went through that again, using the art and science of Vedic counseling was to start to bring things that would help to just bring some peace to the mind and some clarity to the mind so that the perception of what was happening could be changed. And so then the lifestyle changes came from within that person, not from someone telling them to do it. It was very much about, um, Ayurveda has this other lovely uh, principle called swastya, which means becoming established in oneself. Mm-hmm. And these, to- these tools allow you to get this realization of health. And that's why we do spend so much emphasis on clarity of mind and spirit, because they're profoundly effective in guiding a patient to be established in their self. Um, I mean, the other thing, you know, just hope I'm not going off on too much of a tangent here from your question, Penny, is that, you know, we often talk in the holistic world about mind, body, spirit. You know, we often see these three things grouped together, and it's often the headline of a complementary therapist, for example. And I think the key here is only one third of this equation is about the physical. The other two thirds of these modalities are dedicated to caring for the internal, intangible, energetic landscape of a person. And that takes time. To change a landscape takes time. And these, these, these sort of brilliant tools, the sooner we set them in for people, the earlier that we could start to share them with people, the more profoundly effective they are, and especially alongside treatment. Mm-hmm. These are really, really powerful examples. Um, that's, that's fantastic to hear. Um, how has your engagement with the medical world has been? And obviously, you practice Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a philosophy. Um, of, of living really, isn't it? And I can see and I can hear how you have embedded it in your clinical practice. And you are an oncology pharmacist. You, you work within a multidisciplinary team with oncologists and nurses. How do they react, I guess, to, to your ideas? In all honesty, I think they, they sort of find it entertaining although that might not be the right word to use, in a sense that I suppose um, 
I have an energy that I want to share with a, with a patient if I go in. And I suppose that energy can be quite, um, you know, depending on, on what they need from me. And I think when, when other members of the team hear the conversations that we're having, they're things that they wouldn't have thought of. Or there are things that they think, oh God, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting way to change things around for that patient, um, and and so there there's always more questions from it. So there's never really any resistance from them, other than I suppose my colleagues, I suppose in the same field as I am, pharmacists, they do get concerned that you know we're not all at that point to be able to offer a consistent approach if this is going to be under the pharmacist umbrella as such. So this is where it starts to just become a little bit like, okay, we need to just separate you a little bit um, because that's a speciality that's different and we're all pharmacists and we should all sort of have a fairly, you know, consistent approach. So that's where I have to just slow things down in a, in a sense because there is a consistency with this sort of professional umbrella that we use at work. Um, and, and I would like to break out of it because I still feel like as a pharmacist, my speciality is also um, complementary medicine, is mm -hmm. holistic care. And that's a speciality that uh, I feel I have the autonomy to have as a pharmacist that, I, that I, I wish colleagues would just feel that's okay. That's what he does, it's not what we do. Um, you know, that would be probably more accepting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, do you mind if I just hop back a bit to you? You were talking about the uh, clinical use of intuition, and uh, yeah, that seems very clear to me, looking from the outside, that uh, uh, clinicians have been told to give over their intuition to the computer and, and just do what it says on the computer, uh, and this is the kind of uh, uh, autonomy of, of evidence-based medicine uh, uh, as if what's on the computer is true but it, of course it's not and uh, certainly doesn't apply to every person who comes along uh, with the same condition either so it seems an immensely important subject to me and of course Ayurveda is all about that kind of thing it seems to me so that's where it lives you know um, and I would love to see uh, a, a role for clinical intuition re-emerge within our health service. I think it's drastically missing and it would improve healthcare enormously if clinicians were free to use their intuition to a, a quite a, a large extent. Um, you know, being informed by the evidence for sure, there's nothing wrong with evidence, but when it dictates rather than informs, I think it becomes tyrannical and rather counterproductive. Uh, what's your feeling about that? I feel I feel very much the same. Um, I do find a lot of it is dictated, and and that's where my frustrations will be as well. Mm. Where I can't go, I can't go that way or that way. But this is exactly what it is, and it can't be any other way. Because there's always there always feels like there's another way, and there always is another way. And sometimes it's just adding little bits in to that way. And I think, again, this is why the integrated part is really important, because there are things that we that I think inadvertently we will have to stick to in terms of what the data tells us, what the analysis tells us, because that's the sort of world of medicine in which we've all grown up in. You know, we'll have some brilliant people, um, you know, and 
Penny being one of them, who will look at things from a different perspective and allow us to look at things from a different perspective. And we'd need a lot of you, Penny, I think, to make a, a really <laughs> big change. More pennies. <laughs> More pennies, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, but that, that intuition part, again, because it is so subjective, you know, it's like, how, how would you bring that in? Um, and, you know, there would be, have to be an awful lot of trust in the practitioner or the clinician or whoever it is, you know, dealing with that patient's care. An awful lot of trust that, yes, they, they do the right practices themselves. They have the right clarity of mind themselves, because first it has to start at yourself. If you don't have clarity of mind, clarity of heart and ability to be non-judgmental and, you know, a lot of these things that we know, then can we be comfortable with you relying on your intuition so a lot of it is and it's how much practice will we put in to be able to hone into that point where we can enter into the heart of the patient because we've worked ourselves to be able to do that so intuition the acceptance of intuition is really important and the acceptance of the hunch that you sometimes get and i'm sure as a clinician you've probably had a hunch about something and then <laughs> gone to find the evidence to fit it mm, you know mm, because that right. sometimes you can do you can get the hunch and then you can find the evidence that will fit it but it's that hunch that's so important and i mm. totally agree with you robert we need to re kind of be inspired to go with the hunch and then if we need to look for the evidence to back up the hunch okay let's, right. let's do it mm. but don't ignore the hunch accept it accept that power that you have in your body as human beings you know we are one and you know there is a unitary awareness if you want to look at it from that perspective because we, we've already talked of the word spirit and if that unitary awareness is there then we can step into someone we can step into an ability to use intuition well for someone's care and their future mm, brilliant love it yeah i mean i i'm used to talking to uh patients and and people who work in integrative care with patients and the, you know there's a growing awareness amongst patients that actually for them to use their intuition is absolutely essential to be able to navigate the multiple choices there are within integrative medicine and have any idea what to do and what to not bother with. Uh, you know, it's too difficult and there's never enough evidence to make up your mind on that basis. So how do you do it? Well, intuition is the way and uh, people have extraordinary stories to tell of how intuition has saved their bacon, basically, uh, and, and they will testify to the, this being one of their major strategies for survival. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Clinicians um, in clinic, essentially, I've got some colleagues who will want to spend that time with people and really go into depth um, as you as you talked about intuition and balance and it's often you know time constraints and pressures that are you know in between the vision and, and actually doing it what would be your advice on this and is it the amount of time that people you know clinicians need to spend or is it the active listening that you mentioned before? What is it that we need to change to differently? I think it is just a, an openness to looking beyond what is just there in front, which is which is the physical 
person in front and the physical data that has come from that person. And, and they, are, they are often the two things that we are sort of armed with to be able to make the right choices for them and, 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 and guide them through. But it's uh, how do you sort of see be beyond just that? Um, and, and what is the bigger expression of this person? What is the nature of this person? Because I think as a clinician, we'll be brilliant at understanding the nature of the disease. But that's often where we, where we just concentrate. Mm -hmm. What we really want to be looking at is the nature of the person, the nature of this individual who's in front of us. Um, you know, I think um, we'll find that, um, I think it's a hard thing to really say what would be the right thing because there is so much time constraint and I absolutely understand that as well. It's just, um, how do you go about, how do you go around that? I think people who can be in your group and your team, your, your part of your integrated multidisciplinary team, they're the port of call then. You know, you can refer someone to mm -hmm. someone who you know will be able to guide them in the next steps or to be able to help them through that beginning part of their journey and then stay with them. So I wish that there was something that could be out there which would train, you know, other healthcare professionals alongside yourselves mm -hmm. um, as consultants that would allow them to be able to do, let's say if it's a pharmacist or a nurse mm -hmm. practitioner or a dietitian, but gives them the much bigger picture yeah. the broader picture, something that would allow them to tap into all those different realms. Um, because it's not about saying to the patient, okay, so what we could offer you is Ayurveda, or this, or this, or this, but it's just so how, you know, how are you eating? And then take it from there. And if they're mm -hmm. interested, it soon comes up that they're interested in slightly more uh, in-depth ideas about food. Or if they are interested in certain types of mind therapies, then they will show their interest to sort of yoga therapies, you know, and also from the physical side. So I think those conversations could happen, um, you know, early enough for a consultant mm -hmm. within a time constraint but then they would probably need to be branched out and your supportive team so if we were in a in a, in a wonderfully integrated oncology team i would be able to jump in and support mm -hmm. you with a patient that you've just seen and similarly you know the nurse who's alongside us would sort of understand where we all fit in that and so for that particular person it just is all right there Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we need to develop. That's what we need to develop. And in that is intuition too, because you get the first sense of something, you then bring bring your greater team in and you know that they have slightly, you know, another, another expanse of intuition that they will bring in, but along with a lot of professional sort of complementary therapies as well. And then that's, that's the key, isn't it? But it's just mm -hmm. so big. And it's like, how do we, how do we get there? Um, and, you know, I think, with cancer patients, you know, we, we, we've seen, I suppose, for example, cancer patients will share the same staging and grade, and yet they can present totally different mm -hmm. outcomes. Um, you know, they can have totally different responses to treatment and totally different levels of side effects. Um, and only through that sort of lifestyle modification, the sort of inclusion of other therapies could we really start to bring i suppose maybe even more consistency to outcomes mm -hmm. so at the moment we go with the evidence base to give the treatment and then our outcomes are extremely varied 
So interestingly, if we had the, the first point with all the good evidence base, but we gave them a lot of the other stuff which could be looked at a little bit more sort of uh, fluffy or intuitive, we might actually get better outcomes that could be more consistent. So I think it's quite interesting how I see something like, for example, Ayurveda, to help outcomes be more consistent in a, in a positive manner um, to where they are now, because they will take into account the individual expression, not just the disease expression. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, I think that's the potential of integration. Is uh, I think it's all there already. It's ready to go. We're just not doing it really, and uh, you know all the all the skills and the knowledge and the expertise are are, are ready. Yeah, and, and we just need to to start with it and, and mm. somehow do it. And I, I, you know, and 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 fingers crossed that will that is on the horizon. Mm. Well, I fingers hope. crossed it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking earlier on about the sort of apparent massive gulf between the sort of Ayurvedic view and the Western medicine view of, of health. But uh, it's quite interesting to me how much uh, the Indian culture is actually invading the, the British Isles in recent years. You know, I mean, I already mentioned Rangan Chatterjee. Uh, he's mm -hmm. Indian heritage and uh, he was doing things there long before anybody else in his kind of position would have been doing. Very radical to be a GP uh, training in functional medicine and uh, looking at health in the way that he was of supporting good health rather than just treating symptoms. Um, and uh, there are other uh, uh, people from the, the with Indian heritage, like uh, you know Siddhartha Mukherjee, is a leading thinker in cancer, isn't he? And uh, he is more adventurous than many oncologists in his thinking. He explores new ideas, and. Uh, yeah, we also we got Rupi Orjula in this country as well, who's uh, you know banging the drum for food as medicine. So you know it's very striking to me that these people have come from other cultures, other than ours, and they're bringing in new ideas and things like uh, yoga, meditation, this kind of thing, a kind of second nature because they're part of the culture. They're not sort of weird things from over there. They're like, well, we did this, we do this stuff, you know. So. I think it's a very important ingredient in the evolution of healthcare at the moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of the people that you just mentioned there is is how they completely understand, embrace, you know, Western medicine and culture, mm -hmm. and that it's very, very effective, and they work in it because it's so effective. And yet, for 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 each one of them, there is something just missing. The part of the right. jigsaw puzzle is missing, right. and, and that comes comes back and you know uh, you know it's, it's 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 lovely that it's all from indian culture because it all just fits in together and i think that's the beauty of it that it doesn't negate any of of, of what we do right it adds in it wants to add in it doesn't want to replace and i think this is what can can often scare people again yeah. you know going back to how do we inspire people to take on these you know complementary therapies is to they're not there to replace you know, what you're doing has an absolute point and it's really important, but there's another element that just needs to come in. It's just, yeah, that, it is what you're saying. It's just the integration is, is just so, so desperately wanted uh, and it just needs to become more of a norm where people can access it. They don't have to go online to look for it because, again, right. that's how, you know, people will find me. I, I don't, you know, 
give people my card at work. No. They find me independently or someone has to recommend it to them. Mm. Um, you know, but that's such a shame that they don't have, um, you know, someone who could just guide them with these are these are these are potentials, you know, within to consider. the NHS. It absolutely it'd be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was talk in, in a previous podcast about a, a new discipline of preventative oncology, wasn't there, Penny? Which uh, was, was. A, gr- a great idea, I thought, which is somebody who actually does have all the knowledge that you're talking about and can really signpost people in different directions. Do you want to say That's a bit more, good. Penny? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we know you talked about um, epigenetics, um, Bobby. So we know there are two theories in cancer, the genetic theory um, and the non-genetic, the metabolic theory. And how do we try with our lifestyle and our interventions to to prevent cancer? We know that the burden is, is huge. So um, and we know that simple lifestyle interventions, and I, I call them simple, they're actually quite major for each individual. And that's where they need the complementary practitioners um, to change those habits and improve their lifestyle, which could potentially prevent cancer. So it's a very interesting um, concept, really, which fast track 10 years down the line, I would see I would like to see that being being the norm in the NHS. Don't know your views. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love to see that being the norm. I think there was a, a moment when I came back from my my first trip in India, where I was studying, and you know I, I went straight in to to present some ideas. I would like to do this project, um, and I would like to do this project. You know, one one was about diabetes and, and yoga, and you know, I had some brilliant evidence from the university I was in in, in India, and I wanted to do it. And business manager at the NHS development group said yes. Your diabetes team said no, <laughs> you know, and, and so that was interesting. And I put another project out there for, for, you know, young autistic, you know, for children on the spectrum, adolescents, you know, going out into the big world, what happens when they get to 18? How do they cope with it? So I, I, I designed a 10 week program for them and I got funded to be done. And it was and it was brilliant because we were using, you know, really simple approaches again, like Penny said, simple, but life changing approaches just to be able to give tools, you know, for vulnerable adults who are about to head out into the big world when they kind of let go of school and that sort of safety net. So there are some brilliant moments where people say, yes, do it. And there's moments where people just put up their hand and say no, unfortunately. And you have published um, some work on diabetes and frail patients, haven't you? Yeah, there was a project I did with a with a GP practice on frailty, um, which was which was great. Um, it did really well, and it was um, you know got shortlisted for for uh, one of the Healthcare Institute awards. But it uh, it it had a the the, the basic outcome was a sixty percent reduction in hospital admissions over a six month period, which mm-hmm. was which was huge in frail Good. patients. Absolutely, um, it was absolutely brilliant but uh, it wasn't a reproducible project because mm-hmm. there aren't many people with the breadth of experience of mm-hmm. holistic approach so that's where that's where we fell down again yeah um, because there was some there was a degree of intuition that a wonderful wonderful person a ccg said yes to <laughs> so we could show it but everywhere else it was 
it is lovely, but it's not. And we clone me. that person. Yeah, right. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, to start yeah, with, it, it is down to individuals to bring change. I mean, uh, you know, that's what yes. has to happen. Some, yeah. you know, before we can start to uh, find a way of rolling it out more widely. Um, I was interested that the kind of Trojan horse here in Britain is the uh, the private sector, which is obviously looks across the water to what's going on in America or somewhere and uh, knows what how integration is working for patients, for the public, how much they like it. And, of course, they're all competing with each other to pr provide a better service anyway. So um, I think, you know, they've moved a long way ahead uh, of the NHS in, in oncology, certainly, in providing integration. And, and that's uh, inspired Penny, I think, to think, well, why on earth aren't we doing this stuff? In the NHS, so uh, I, I, do you have any experience in the private sector yourself? And uh, do you think this is, uh, uh, you know, maybe something that'll, that that influence will get greater in time? Oh, I certainly hope so. So um, I, I do work at a private hospital as well as a, an NHS trust, mm. um, and I think it's, you know, that is the place. If 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 there's going to be something that is going to transpire in in you know in in, in sort of soon it's going to be there mm. um you know and again that's going to be because the right people are trying to push it forward um and and that's what we're fortunate for uh, at that point again it's the right people uh speaking up and saying we need this and you know fortunately um you know there there, there is a little team that's there you know un unknown to each other that, that are there that can sort of help and support to get that going hopefully mm. And that's the importance of the clinician voice. And uh, that's the purpose of how, why we're doing the, this cancer podcast, why you're here. And we try to bring people from different specialties to just show that, you know, I'm not alone and you are not alone. And there's a bunch of clinicians out there who it's quite, quite a number now. And we all... Um, practicing quite similarly and we are all seeing the same benefits so there must be some truth in it absolutely absolutely and that's just uh, music to the ears to hear that that is happening um, and it's and it's growing as well it's just exactly where we should be and just need to keep the momentum need to keep that kinetic force going with it <laughs> brilliant yeah, i love that Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when I, I look at the, the private sector and the NHS, the thing that's sort of uh, obvious about the, the difference between the two is that uh, the private sector's very concerned about what patients think. And uh, they want them to like their service and give it a big tick and say, yes, we, we love it. We'll tell everybody else about it and we'll come back for more. Um, and that is clearly what's missing from the NHS. They're not actually listening to their patients because the the pressure for integration just goes up and up and up. I mean, you know, we're working with patients, the Esther Life is all the time. We're hearing the, their frustrations at the total ignorance and lack of interest from their clinicians. And um, so it feels like the clinicians are like, you know, they're, they're 10 or 15 years behind the patients, you know, in, from this respect. The patients know much more than they mm -hmm. do. They know it could help them. And they're, they're, their clinicians saying, no, don't do it, you know. And it, that's ex enormously frustrating. And it doesn't, uh, it's not, it doesn't build a good trust platform with their on oncologist, uh, clinician, really. So I, I don't know how we can improve the NHS's ability and interest to listen to their customers. 
yeah, um, it's um, it feels like a, a, a wall that one 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 bangs their head against a lot. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll even I'll even see written in notes holistic assessment complete and ticked. Yeah, um, and 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 it, it you know it probably has just asked them if they you know who they live with um, <laughs> and where they live, but. I, it, you know, and I don't mean to belittle it because they're all working under pressure and they're working really hard. But it's just, you know, even even using terms like a holistic assessment when it when it isn't just seems unfair right. to to a patient. Um, and so you, you do wonder why, you know, that they don't feel that they're getting a quality of care. Um, you know, if, if somebody said to me, OK, could you come in tomorrow? We're going to do a holistic assessment. I would be so thrilled, right. especially because I'm about to embark <laughs> on a really, really major course of treatment, you know, ahead of it. And, you know, and, and I get there and, you know, I'm not sure how much of, you know, all the other aspects they've looked at. So please don't, you know. I don't want to offend anyone because maybe someone's doing some really good work there, but just from what I see on paper, it doesn't look like it's enough. And, you know, that could very well be quite frustrating to people who understand what holistic truly means when they go there. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, again, you know, they've got things that are sort of almost set up as well. You know, there's 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 places where there is somebody there to signpost and right. there's a center for signposting, mm. uh, but there's nobody with the knowledge to do it. Right. Um, so, you know, one hospital I work in, there's a brilliant place for information signposting. You know, there's an entire suite there for, let's say, for Macmillan and signposting. But I'm not sure where the signposting is happening. And I suppose these are the things that we just need to keep working at, working at to, yeah. to help them get people say brilliant things about them, um, because that is what they want as well. And it's what motivates the staff to keep doing what they're doing, keeps motivating the nurses, to, despite how much time constraints they're under and how much pressure they're under. That's... And they want to hear that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Well, uh, Penny collaborated with us yesterday to produce an 11 module course for health professionals just to give them a, a pretty good uh, over a broad overview of what's available in integrative oncology, how it works, what it, the risks and benefits, you know, all that kind of stuff, a very uh, professional and professionally put together course. So very cheap. So I'm going to I'm advertising it now because we want people to do it because <laughs> it's 100 quid for 11 modules and it's an absolute bargain for uh, you know, being in a position to actually signpost people. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, you know, I'm going to share that at the trust. I good. <laughs> that sounds absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And, and that's, that's absolutely affordable. And yeah. it's, you know, hard work has gone into it and, and, and it should be done. It should be done. So uh, thank you. Um, yeah. That is, that's something I will, I will take in my armor with me. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the life horizons it's called. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got any last little things you'd like to talk about, Penny? Oh, I think um, I think the vision is clear, and I think where we are heading is is in the future to integrate in a more effective way. That's what I hear, and um, it's, it's targeting the right people also, and and championing the change. That's again what I what I hear from Bobby. So, mm. I, I, you know, I, it has been quite um, a fantastic talk today. I think, and yeah. um, I think the clinicians that are listening to this podcast should really take those messages home. And then, you know, the 
we, we can do this. We can initiate those conversations in clinic, but we need to remember that we are not on our own and we are not expected to do it all. We work within a team and Bobby is a pharmacist and then complementary practitioners, so we all need to work together. Fantastic. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think it's that sort of inspiration that you that you bring out, Penny, which is just just makes you want to shout it out louder and, and, and make it happen. So so thank you for your heart in it. <laughs> no, thank you. Absolutely. Well, I, I really enjoyed today's talk. Bobby, you're, you're very eloquent uh, in describing exactly what the things you're looking for when you're uh, working clinically with people. And uh, your passion for, for that kind of approach to medicine is absolutely bursting out of you. Uh, yeah, I, it's exactly, I think, you know, you've described what we want to bring into UK healthcare absolutely precisely. So I love it. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll keep we'll keep going. We'll keep moving yeah, forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Penny. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cancer Talk. Do subscribe and look out for the next edition of our podcast. And if you have friends and colleagues interested in the development of UK cancer care, do pass on the details of Cancer Talk. Goodbye.